Welcome to the Business of Sports Show. Now, every now and then we want to bring you a very special guest that might be a slightly different than our normal. So today, I mean, the fact that we've got this guy on, on it is, is huge for me because I'm a big, big fan of the program SAS Who Dares Wins. But also, you know, you've got to be in awe of those guys on the front line. Today, we have none other than Ollie Ollerton. Hi, Ollie. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? Nice to be on the show. Thanks for coming on, mate. You know, hopefully you're you're well and, and fit. Mate, I'm I'm on fire today. You know what? I got my I went out. I've just got back from my run. I've got a usual route I do around the house, and um, yeah. I've not forty minutes off my PB. So I'm just um, mate, I'm on fire. I'm absolutely buzzing. Mate, it's obviously because you're on the podcast today. That that's what it is. You, I got um... back, mate. I got up late. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, extra gear found. Yeah, so... no, that's good. For, for anyone who doesn't know you, who hasn't seen the show or anything like that, introduce yourself, mate. Yeah, I'm a former UK Special Forces soldier. I came from the shadows into the spotlight around 2015 on the hit show SAS Who Dares Wins on Channel 4, which um, I bounced all over the world um, with. I did six series on that show around about six years. I'm now no longer part of that, but I'm doing SAS Australia with Ant Middleton. Um, I'm also the CEO of a company called Breakpoint, um, which I'm sure we're going to address and talk about throughout this session. And um, we, we, we've got to make there's a book on it. There, it's already there. And I'm a best-selling <laughs> author. Um, as I've got four books actually currently out there, another one on the way. So um, yeah, and really at the end of the day, what 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 is my passion? My passion is changing the way people um, think uh, and changing the way people, um, well getting people to perform to the best of the or the best version of themselves that is my that is my mission in life fantastic i mean i mean we'll, we'll touch on your, your your special forces career in a minute but i love that bit of out of the shadows and now into the limelight because i suppose years ago special forces soldiers you probably never knew you could be walking past one and you never even know because you know let's face it you're regular guys at the end of the day but I suppose the closest people would ever really get to know knowing one of them is probably someone like Andy McNabb, who still kind of lives in the shadows and you never know. So so kind of, why why did you step out from the shadows into the limelight then? That, that must have been a big, big call, really. Yeah, it was a big call. And really, to be honest, this is this is why initially they were struggling with, to get people on that that TV show, um, you know, and I was in the right place at the right time. It was actually Foxing, one of my best mates that that got the intro for the show and then sort of pulled me in. Um, but really, you know, the fact that we weren't going to be pixelated, our faces weren't going to be pixelated, um, you know, a lot of people turned away from that because they didn't see the longevity in it. You know, there's been a lot of shows before in the past where it's been a one-off, this, that, and the other. Um, yeah. And really for us, you know, we took the gamble. You know, because at the end of the day, you know, once you've revealed your face, you can't then go back, even as a civilian soldier, if you want to call it that, former Special Forces soldier, you can't then go back into doing undercover work. You know, there's a lot of lot of work you you simply can't slot back into doing. You know, you just you just wouldn't be available for it. Um, now, for me personally, before the opportunity for the TV show came about, I returned to the UK after bouncing all over the world, trying to find myself purpose in life trying to find, find myself and I came back with the sole intention to start my company Breakpoint so as soon as I got that opportunity for the TV it was simple for me 
how do I get exposure? I've been I've been questioning myself how I'm going to get exposure for this business, and I was you know I was banging my head around how do I do it? You know, it's 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 especially when you haven't got any money whatsoever. That opportunity came about, and I just saw that as a you know as an opportunity to to really get that exposure for for free. Uh, I had no idea it was going to last for six years and then keep on going then to SAS Australia. Uh, but really, it was a vehicle for me, and um, it's it's done me proud. Absolutely, and, and mate, it's absolutely fantastic. But let's kind of wind it back then. So, so how did your career start? How did you, you know, do you wake up one morning and go, "I'm going to be special forces," or, or you know, kind of what's that journey that you go on? Yeah, I tell you what, the seed was sown for me in 1980, and I was 10. Now, when I say that, a lot happened for me in that year. And when you read my book or anyone that has read my book will understand that 10 years old, I talk about it a lot. I was attacked by a chimp in that year. And in that very same, which was a life changing moment for me, it really, you know, it's it's my earliest childhood memory at 10 uh, because it was so traumatic. Um, And also that year, what else happened, quite a significant year for me, is when the um, SAS stormed the Iranian embassy in London. Uh, which yeah. was across the TV, everything, you know, usually you'd have that place blanketed off so you couldn't see it. I've known, but um, Margaret Thatcher, who was prime minister at the time, wanted to show the world, um, you know, or, or say send a message to the world not to mess with us, not to mess yeah. with special special forces. And I really believe that that seed was sown then. Subconsciously, mm. that seed was sown then. At 14, um, I lost all kind of interest in academia. I was I was decent at school. But all of a sudden, I just had this passion for the military. Um, and I can remember at 14 years old, which I now look back, and it's quite a decision at 14. I've mm. made that decision. I am joining the Royal Marine Commandos. They were, as far as I, I was concerned, the hardest sort of military unit out there, and I wanted to be at the front line. Yeah. Um, and that was it, really, for me. You know, that was the passion. I lost all interest in everything else apart from doing that. 18 years old, I joined up, joined the military, um, and I still had this sort of, I can remember going to the careers office and I walked in the careers office and they said, right, because it's hard getting in the Royal Marines. It's one of the hardest selection processes in the world. And, um, you know, I can remember the woman there saying to me, so if you did pass Royal Marines selection, what do you want to do? And I opened the center of the book that they'd given me previously. And it was a picture of, of a special forces frogman. Yeah. swimming in the ocean next to a mini sub and I went I want that and I can always remember she looked at me and she laughed and she went everyone wants that yeah and that was, again that was that seed that was sown it was almost like you know which would the challenge had been thrown down of going exactly that Matt exactly that and that would that would be a pattern that would follow me for the rest of my career people doubting me would be my fuel for success yeah um, but really, when I got into Royal Marines, I then, um, you know, I went off to Northern Ireland, grew up extremely quickly in that time there, um, and then went to Iraq, came back from Iraq, and I was I was just absolutely flat when I came back from from a war zone. I, I couldn't handle life as a peacetime soldier. It was just it just bored the hell out of me. You know, I joined to be in the front line, be being you know, um, being combat. And I just decided, you know, this dream of the special forces started started to dwindle because our minds are always looking for the path of least resistance. And when we can't see the route to our path or or to our goals, um, our mind tells us it can't be done. So really, the easy option for me was to leave. But my officer turned me um, turned me around, made me do a one eighty on that, and he just said, "Look, if you leave, it's going to be the you're going to regret that for the rest of your life." 
And I do yeah. believe it's not what it takes. I didn't have the confidence, but I borrowed confidence off that man that day. Uh, I felt I had a duty to do so. Um, mm. And that would be something that changed my life again. You know, it pushed me into doing special forces selection. I was one out of a five out of around about 280 that started the selection process. And I was one of five that eventually passed that course. Some, Crazy. Yeah. So, you know, that dream came to fruition and it was, it was incredible. But for me, I, you know, I'm probably the first special forces soldier, I think, or I've ever heard say this, you know, I got to the special forces. It was the top of, you know, I was at the, the top tier of the military and still, that desire, that's something that was missing in the Royal Marines. It was still missing when I joined the Special Forces. And really? Yeah, I wouldn't understand what that was until a long time later. I didn't understand the meaning of what purpose meant. You know, mm. and really for me, you know, a lot of that, I had a, I had a lot, there was a lot of, you know, I had military history within the family. You know, that's one thing, you know, my, my grandfather was a, was a major in the Royal Engineers. So there was that, you know, and that sense of honour and, and everything else to 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 represent and um and be in the military there was also that but the thing is i i a lot of it and i reflect a lot on this now you know i've i was doing it for the audience right. yeah i was doing it because i was chasing the image of what it looked like and how cool it looked for other people as opposed to what it really felt or meant to me and i know that could yeah. sound yeah, a lot of people, you know, and, and I still reflect on that a lot because in some degree, we're all doing that, you know, some more than others. Yeah, yeah I, 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 that that's really interesting. And, and I think to kind of come at it from that angle, you look at everything these days and, and there's that, that phrase, the Instagram life, you know, people doing things just because of what it looks like to other people, mm. you know, going on fancy holidays and, and, it's the concert thing as well and I always compare things to the concert thing of going you can sit there and, and you can watch a concert mm. but you look around and everybody's got their phones up they're all they're yeah. all recording it they're all looking at everything on this little screen rather than just going and it's happening right in front of you and I think that I think a lot of people do that a lot of people kind of get sucked into that that trap and and yeah, I think social media has kind of really blown that up even more. Then, not just for. Oh, mate, you know, 100%. I mean, let's let's call it it's egogram, isn't it? Not Instagram, yeah. it's egogram. Yeah, you know, what I mean, we actually yeah. exactly that thing that you're talking about. Matt, where my wife actually said to me, "Look at this concert." My my, I think it's my niece had gone or something to a concert in London, and she was obviously, you know, we was watching it through Instagram, and everyone with their phones. Yeah. So actually enjoying it, they're making sure that everyone knows that they're there. Mm. I mean, and that 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 just typifies what people are like. They're, and and this goes even further because people are quite prepared to compromise their own health and well-being or mental well-being or compromise um themselves just to make sure that everyone thinks that they're doing something cool, looking good, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, mm. you know. When it's well, I, I, I saw an article yesterday, in fact, just a headline saying about some teenager who had fallen off a, a cliff or whatever because he was taking a selfie. <laughs> oh, thank God. It's, it's, it's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, and and I think the problem with that, look, there's always going to be an element of that because no one no one just stands there and hangs out the dirty washing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I could have included in my books, but, you know, it's, it's not there for, for reasons that I don't want to share that depth of, 
of of um of my story um but you know there's, so there's always an element but what you've got to be careful of and you know like you said social media is 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 to blame for this is the fact that if we invest too much in the person we're trying to be we become the byproduct and and the person you're creating or the image you're creating becomes the becomes the main show you know what i mean yeah. and, and really that person you you becoming the byproduct is a path to a path to nowhere you know is that's a path to depression anxiety lack of confidence everything you know, so I think it's a really dangerous place. And and as long as we can be aware of that, and like I say, you know, it's just being aware of the fact that, you know, stop pleasing the audience. Start yeah. doing things for yourself. You know, I always say this, that my life really changed when I stopped doing what was expected and start doing things for myself. Mm. That, that, that's, that's, that's a big life. moment. Yeah. Yeah. We've got and deep, I, I think, haven't we, on this? We, we, we have, I mean, we're only a few minutes in and, and straight away, I mean, we'll be talking about Freud and everything in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's kind of go back. <laughs> let, let's, let's go back because I, I've actually had the, the pleasure of meeting Rusty Furman um, yep. a couple of times. So the, the, the old man with no gloves and uh, in the SAS raid on the, uh, the Iranian embassy siege and kind of, you know, I, just just kind of quizzing him on 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 some stuff previously. I mean, that was a big moment. That mm. you you kind of you hear a lot of the stories now from from you know what happened in World War Two when when the regiment started and, and things like that, and you know some of it's unbelievable. So so you you, you went into the commandos, mm. you, you crack cracked that. Everybody talks about SA selection. I know. Yeah. We'll, get, we'll talk about the TV show in a, in a bit because that's a very small snapshot. Yeah. Because talk us through what selection actually is because it's not not a week long or a couple of weeks or a couple of episodes. No. It, it's a long old process, isn't it? Yeah, one thing I'll say about Special Forces selection, and one thing I'd like to make clear on this because um, is that I did SAS selection, then I went on to further training to, to qualify. So I was SBS, yeah. Special Boat Service. So I just want to make that clear. Um now, SAS selection isn't about so much as training you to be this amazing SAS Special Forces soldier. It's about seeing if you have the minerals, seeing you have the if you have the mental robustness, giving you some basic skills to be able to join your team, because that's when the real work starts. Now, there's a lot of people, like I mentioned, I mentioned around about on my selection, 280 people. It's a six-month process. But then there's three months continuation training after that. So really, essentially, it's nine months. Now, people ask me, is it a mental or physical thing? And I always say, look, I can't do that. That's my trigger finger. About <laughs> <laughs> that. You know, it all yeah. starts here. So there is no separation between the mental and the physical. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you've got, you've got to have strong mental robustness to do any of that course. And that's even turning up. Um, but initially that course is all about thrashing you to your lowest ebb. Almost selection is like all the way through is pretty much thrashing you to your lowest ebb. And then it's almost like they come to you and say, right, give me everything you've got when you've got nothing. Yeah. And it's what you, how you can dig deep in those moments that really shows if you've got it, what it takes to be a special forces soldier. So really that is the way that's put together is like two weeks on the Brecon Beacons, You've got ridiculous weights you're carrying over the mountains. You've got times to do it in, which is absolutely ridiculous. And a lot of people fail on that first 
first hurdle. You know, I'd say yeah. you lose about 60% of the whole course in that two weeks. Jesus. Um, yeah, once you've actually passed that, I mean, to give you an idea, your feet are absolutely, you, you take your socks off at night and they're out, you could bring them out with blood. Um, you know, because you, your feet are just covered in blood and you have to, your first part of any march, each day is another march, another march, another march, different, different, um, different terrain, different weights, different um, times, different distances. And each day, honestly, the first part of any march is just getting over the pain barrier of how your feet yeah. are and any other muscle, you know, you, you're in a, you're an absolute rag. Um, and it's being able to push through, being able to block out all that pain and, and just, you know, focus on getting through it. Uh, once you pass that, you then go to the jungle for six weeks. You actually spend over, around about 28 days totally immersed in the real depths of the jungle. Uh, and really, that is one of the one of the I absolutely it's the hardest thing ever. But it's the it's the best test for any soldier, because yeah. before you even come onto your soldiering. The administration about keeping yourself alive and making sure you don't get infected and, you know, a tiny graze can turn into a massive infection in a heartbeat. Yeah. So you've got all that admin, you've got, you know, you you. you your, your weapon and everything you've got to make sure it doesn't you've got to make sure you're on top of that so it doesn't rust up and everything the admin is absolutely insane and then you've got to soldier on top of that you know so there's a lot of live firing drills there's a lot of stuff going on but really it's all it's pushing you and testing your mental robustness all the way through come back from that if you if you pass the jungle and that's another massive hurdle they then start to really invest in you i'd say in fact they do they yeah. invest and that's when they start giving you those basic skills so that you can join your team and be effective you know just in the you know if you have to go to war straight away you could join your team and 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 be effective straight away so really that's all about those skills but then the last thing is the the, the combat survival which is the escape and evasion um simulation they call it a simulation but honestly it's it's horrendous mate it is horrendous yeah. You know, you've got to escape from being hunted for seven days. You then go into uh, what's called the bag, which is 36 hours of interrogation. Um, and, you know, people say, well, it's only game. You know, when you're absolutely had nothing to eat for seven days, you've um, totally fatigued, absolutely in rag. And one thing you say could 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 change that whole uh, decision on whether you're going to make it or not. You know, one that you could say yes at the wrong time when you're being interrogated. Yeah. You could sign a piece of paper. You could do, do something when your mind, when you're not thinking. You have to be so sharp when you've got nothing, mate. Nothing. Um, and one thing I'll say is, like, at the start of SAS selection, I was like, I got off the bus and I looked around me and I went, nah, this ain't for me. Looked around. Everyone looked like super soldiers already. I was probably the skinniest there. And I thought, no, nah, this is ridiculous. I'm going to set myself up for failure. Now, path of least resistance, get back on the bus, forget it. Go home, yeah. A little voice in my head said, Ollie, just do today. And I kid you not, the whole course was done with that ethos, just do today. Just yeah. do today. And when it came to interrogation at the end, that went down to a second. Just really? do, yeah, 36 hours, just do the next second, just do the next. You, you, you've got no sleep, no nothing. Interrogation, white noise, uh, stress positions, it's horrible. And it's just mm. do the next second. That was the hardest bit. I mean, that's one hell of a job interview. <laughs> yeah, especially when you can get to the end and they go, "No, you just you're just not right." Yeah, I mean, yeah. When essentially that's what that's what it is, isn't it? 
it's yeah. to get the job of being a special forces soldier. And when you compare that to, to mm. you know, us civvies where we go for a job interview and, and we might be there for half an hour, an hour, they're looking at a bit of paperwork and then they make the decision. On I Zoom, mean, you, yeah, well, do on Zoom, t- you know, Teams, other other products are available. Yeah. Uh, and, and you've gone through six to nine months of hell, living minute to minute and pushing yourself for that. Yeah. I mean, when you actually got to the end and it was that decision of yes or no, did you did you care whether they said yes or no? Or, or were you just kind of mentally, oh, okay. physically done? Well, actually, cut a long story short, but this was my second time. I actually did two of them okay. back to back. Yeah, because yeah. first time round, we got to that escape and evasion part at the end, and yeah. we got caught, we got caught doing something we shouldn't have been doing. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, we we got in a civilian car and we went into a farmhouse, and you're not you're not supposed to. Everyone does it, but it's about getting caught anyway. Yeah. Two days to the end of that first selection, I got well, five of us got binned, and RTU'd returned to unit, and that was the hardest thing for me ever to come back. I had to do the whole course again. So yeah. by the time I did that oh, again, I got to the end and I did I did give a shit. I did really yeah. care if I was going to pass it was yes or no because after two years of putting myself through hell, I needed something positive to come from that. <laughs> yeah, massively. I, I'm, I, I've read and I've listened to um, David Goggins' um, book, uh, Can't Hurt Me, where he talks about um, seal selection. And, mm. and buds and stuff and the fact that he ended up doing it three times and it was just broken absolutely i mean yeah i mean, I mean don't say this the wrong way but why would any normal person want to put themselves through that for 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 a second time yeah well it's the prize at the end matt you know mm. at the end of the day you want to be that minimal number of people counted in that tiny little arena yeah the best of the best and regardless of SAS selection or anything in life, there is that innate thing in every person on this planet to do that. Not necessarily SAS selection, not SAS selection at all. But for us to, that's why you get people doing all these mad challenges and stuff like that. There's this innate drive within us to actually achieve a level of greatness in, in all sorts of realms of life. You know, and this is where I see a lot of problem with people because when they don't have that, when we, they don't have anything that's driving them somewhere, as far as the mind's concerned, we're not making progress. We were put on this planet to to experience, to make progress, to to achieve stuff, and, you know, have amazing experiences. And if you're not doing that and you have this repeat monotony, this repeat habit loop of nothing, that's when people start to get those mental health issues. We've got yeah. nothing bigger driving them forward than the monotony of every day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I've kind of been there myself in, in like an old company I worked for where I had a very defined goal. Mm. I had literally four, four or five things I wanted to achieve and, and I achieved them. Mm. And then you kind of go, now what? Yeah. And, and that, that and that no man's land is soul destroying. Yeah. Because you, you don't know if you're progressing, you don't know if you're regressing, yeah. you don't know if you just stood still. So I completely kind of get that. So you completed selection. Yeah. Is, is it then 
a selection of whether you go to to SAS or SBF, you know, or, or no, you what, what's, make, what's the next step? Yeah, you made your you make your choice prior to you know back in back in my day, you know, you kind of went on selection and it was like I'm going. You you're already sort of said I want to go SBS or I want to go to the SAS. Now I came from the Royal Marines. That's where that's that's really this this the. the uh, sourcing ground for everyone that's going to the SBS. There's a lot more people coming through the ranks from, from different um, military units now, though, going into the SBS. But that was, that was pretty much it. It was predetermined. But at the end of that, I could have said, look, I'll go to the SAS. You know, I could have, I could have made that jump if I wanted to. Yeah. But, you know, for me, I mean, I've always loved water. Um, and some of the toys the SBS have got are just far better. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's all about the gadgets, isn't it? Yeah, mate. It was like you know, <laughs> mini stubs and all that. You know, I just, I just, oh, I love that stuff. So, you know, that that was that was a natural flow for me to go. So, um, yeah. yeah, I went, I went further training. You know, you do all your dive qualification, all your dive, um, you know, on on the rebreathers and everything else, and all the all the dive stuff. Um, and that's for the next three months. You know, some people actually get to that phase and they they realize they haven't got an aptitude for diving, and those people would then have an opportunity to go to. Um, the SAS and vice versa it's both ways okay so how was your time in the SBS then and yeah, uh, with all the gadgets then yeah no it was absolutely amazing I'm so humbled to be a part of that it was it was incredible experience now for me you know I was lit I, I joined the military special for the special forces in a time when we look back now which was relatively relatively quiet you know what I mean there wasn't as much going on as there have been in the recent years, you know, with Iraq and and then yeah. Afghanistan. So for me, although we did do jobs, I mean, a lot of our time was spent training. I mean, you're constantly training new skills, new tech. You know, it's, it's a constant, constant. And then you actually realise, you look back and think, bloody hell, selection was quite easy compared to this. You know, you, you language courses, uh, medical courses, all kinds of different courses, new weapon systems, Constantly training, you know, our specialist skill was combat frogmen. So we were diving a lot, attacking, you know, training to attack targets um, like uh, oil rigs, shipping, you know, all kinds of stuff. So um, it was it was incredible, mate. And and, and then thrown in there, the, the odd jobs came in, um, you know, which weren't advertised on. You don't see advertised in, in, in the news and stuff. Um yeah. So they're the ones that, you know, they're the thing that you want. You So I was, you know, for me, especially, I was like, so dead. That's what I wanted. I wanted that every day and it didn't come yeah. enough. So really for me, um, you know, I, I lost interest. I lost interest again. As soon as I joined, I was just like, this is still, still something, there's still something missing. And I couldn't work it out. You know, I was never settled. I was never really you know because i thought once i'm get to there i'm gonna that's gonna be me for the rest of my life i can't imagine anything else i want to do i'd already mapped it out in my mm. head you know my life is going to look like this and i got there and it was just it was very different the reality and the perception as it as it always is was, was yeah. so far apart that i couldn't i couldn't bridge that gap well it, it, again it's like we said about the instagram line versus reality you know people posting photos of glamorous dinners and stuff like that when reality is they're just sat on their sofa at home, you know, in, in their scruffs. Just, yeah, I know, exactly. You know, People driving planes and things like that, so they can have a private jet just to have a picture. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was that that, that um, supposed influencer, I think, got exposed once because she took a photo in business class and then everybody in the economy took photos of her, you know, in the middle of the row with, a, with the rest of them. So, 
you know, these <laughs> things happen. I love it. <laughs> so, okay, so, so past election, did your time in the SES, mm. and then you left, or the SBS rather, and then you left. Yeah, that's, that's got to be a that had to be a big decision. Yeah, it was, but it was the thing is for me, and I'm quite happy to say that I actually had my notice in to leave as soon as I joined. Really? Yeah, and you have to do it back back in that. I don't. I'm not sure what it's like now, but that's an 18 month notice period. So for for my whole career, I'd like put my notice in to leave as soon as I could. 18 months would creep round. It get closer, and I go. I'd have a change of heart. Yeah. No, no, I'm going to stick with it. And I, I did that for six years. So really, for me, I was I, I negated the fact of ever getting a promotion because I was always leaving. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was really just, you know, just marking time in that six years. But when it came to it, something happened, something significant. I just went, no, nah, that's it. I'm going. You know, and really, the only thing that kept me in is the fear of the unknown. You know, it's like, mm. you know, and the, the grass is greener and all that kind of stuff. But really, stepping outside that that gate as a civilian, it, it, that's a hard thing to do. And it, it it would prove particularly hard. Even my perception of it would be, oh, this is going, I was top of my game. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to be top of my game out there. And a lot of mili- military people get this wrong. I got it wrong. You have to take a step down before you stand back up again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not all, a lot of people, some people come out, they've got a, a path already laid out and this, that and the other, but you have to have a clearly defined plan for when you come out. Because if you don't, you're coming out to a massive void, all the camaraderie, everything's gone. There's a massive void there. Suddenly you're out there on your own. And if you don't have a clear definition or direction of where you're going, you start, you go into a flat spin before you know it. You Well, I'll talk from my personal experience. You start drinking whenever you're not working. And, you know, before you know it, you're, you're, you're out of control. And that for me was mm-hmm. like, I said, I'd never go back to a war zone. I'm, I want to start my own business. I want to do this, that and the other. Pretty shortly afterwards, I was back in a war zone, um, you know, and I was out there. It was probably the most hideous times of my career being going back as a as a mercenary, for want of a better term, uh, back out into Iraq as a contractor. The money was absolutely brilliant. Uh, that's the, the one thing that drew me out there. But it was probably the most hideous time in my career because I was drinking too much. I was taking Valium to handle the next day anxiety. Uh, we were being shot at. And when you were being shot at out there, you couldn't call in an airstrike. You couldn't call in naval gunfire from out at sea. You didn't have a highly trained team around you with all the weapon systems and all the skills in the world, which yeah. you know, back in the day, you would have been like uh, inviting that stuff to happen. But when you were a contractor out there in, in Iraq, where I was for for five years, mate, it was, it was a horrible experience. When you got attacked, it was like you, you didn't think you were going to get out of it. And that took me, and the reason I was drinking so much, you know, one of the reasons was, you know, I, I was living every day like it was its last. I didn't believe I was going to come home. So it was a, it was a nasty, nasty, when it comes to mental health and everything, my mental health just went, took a, a dive, a dive. And I couldn't see the severity of that issue because I was, I was, I was drowning it in a haze of, of alcohol. Mm. You know, it was like, yeah. So it was, it was a bad place for me. Yeah, mental health is a massive, massive thing these days. And, and it's great that it's being talked about more and more. Um, we had a previous guest on. In fact, we've had, had a number of guests where we've, we've talked about it. Um, one really kind of sticks out because it, it it kind of sounds similar, although special forces to a professional rugby player is a little bit different. But 
I mean, it, it was a guy called Reese Thomas who had a heart attack at 28 in training, needs a heart transplant, descended into drinking drugs and, and really kind of low mm. ebbs. And, and, you know, and, and thankfully, you know, he, he's, you know, he's gone to rehab and, and on all this, but mental health and, yeah, and, and let's face it, mental health amongst men. You know, whilst it's being more talked about now, yeah. it's still one of those things that that, and certainly I, I kind of think when you are part of a team. So, like you saying, coming out of of the services mm-hmm. and and that camaraderie and, and things like that. And I think you know, again, with sports, when when you you retire or you leave or, or whatever, you've gone from having that close knit community and 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 support, whether yeah. that is whether you're under fire or or not. Mm. You, you kind of leave, you know, a few players have said to me that one of the hardest things is when they have, when they leave the WhatsApp chat for, for yeah. the team because they don't have that kind of support and banter and, and, and constant. So, so kind of, yeah, I, I think it's, it's one of those things that, that definitely needs to be talked about a lot more because, you know, would you say that that's kind of one of the breaking points for people is when they do leave those environments. Yeah, the thing is, I, I do talk about this a lot, and I do. Um, I'm seen as an advocate for mental men's mental health um, or mental health in general, but I think we we're on a on a knife edge about mm. what how we how we're approaching it these days, and I think we've got to be so careful. Now, listen to me on this, right? The more we focus on anything, the bigger it will will become. Yeah. Now, if I'm going to focus on problem, 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 I will. Each every person in this world can find problems in their life. But if I'm going to concentrate my effort to focusing on that problem, the bigger that will be. It will become bigger. The more yeah. we focus on anything, the bigger it becomes. So I think at the moment there seems to be this mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health. Focus, focus, focus. Before you know it, everyone will start to identify with issues. Yeah. And before you know, we've got a bigger problem that we had originally. Now, I think there should be, now, you'll also relate to this message that's out there. It's okay to not be okay. Mm. I agree with that. But that doesn't mean that's an acceptance speech for failure. That doesn't mean that's an acceptance speech to just say, well, this is just normal. I'm going to just crack on. Yeah. That means... It's okay to not be okay. Now, what we're going to do about it? And that really, for me, get, takes us into what I call mental wealth. How are you investing in your mental wealth? That then is the answer to your mental health. There doesn't seem to be a lot about the solution. There seems to be a lot about the problem. And, and, and that that's one of the issues, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is that everybody focuses on the problem, but not yeah. the solution. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with it's okay to, to not be okay. Yeah, but what are you going to do about it? Exactly. How, how how do you move on? Because otherwise, I think, like we were saying, you're in that no man's land then mm. of going, oh well, I'm not okay, and that's okay. Yeah. But how do you, how do you move on? How do you actually move forward? Yeah. And, and again, it, it's one of those things about, you know, I've got one of the, the Rocky quotes on the wall over there somewhere saying about, you know, it's about how how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Exactly, and, yeah. and and I think that's so true in in all forms of life because you know yes there are further extremes in terms of being a special forces soldier you know being shot at left right and center and and your life being on the line or just coping with with 
what's going on in the world these days. You know, the energy crisis or, or cost of living and, and feed, putting food on the table for your family. People, people need to, to take action and do something um, about it. So, so, so talk to me about your, your kind of advocacy for, for mental health and, and mel- mental you know, well-being. Yeah, well, really, for me, I mean, I, 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 you know, I talk from experience. I mean, my life fell apart. I, I actually, after this, you know, after being, after leaving the special forces, I then went on to working out in war zones. I then got, in, I then um, actually, when I left um, working in Iraq, because I knew I had to leave of my own accord, otherwise I would be leaving in a box. Um, I was actually living in Australia at the time and I started to get some stability in life. I was starting to like do some property development and stuff and, and um, everything was sort of stable. Um, Mm. But that for me, even at that time, that wasn't a good place either. You know, you've got to imagine like a special forces soldier, they train you to be at flowing chaos. Yeah. I can, it's, you know, I'm glad I can look back and reflect on this now, but, you know, hindsight didn't win any wars, but it's good for re- reflection. But, you know, for me, um, that didn't stop when I left. You can't switch it off. So I was looking for chaos in every aspect, in every facet of my life, and I found it. You know, my relationships, my new job, I was fighting against everything fighting against myself, fighting, you know, it was just mayhem, absolute mayhem. And then anyway, when I got to Australia, I was still of that mindset where I wanted that, I needed that chaos, you know, and yeah. even you know, I was hitting the drink heavily still, um, you know, which was a real battle to to try and, you know, to I knew it wasn't right, but to yeah. stop just because it's, you know, well, just stop then. Well, just because it's simple doesn't make it easy. Yeah. Um, and... I then came across something which would change my life. And that was um, uh, going to Southeast Asia with a, you know, as a part of an undercover team rescuing kids from child prostitution and slavery. Now I had no idea of what that was going to give me, but that would be the thing that, that changed my life. And I wasn't getting paid for that. I used my own money to, to, to fund that operation. Um, But it was the best return on investment I've ever had ever had and really for me you know we're rescuing these kids um getting them to an orphanage and where we would have donations coming in from all over um but the thing went crashing down there was a political situation the thing came crashing down overnight we had to escape out of, out of thailand and um before i knew it, i was back in australia all of a sudden that thing that was missing in the special forces that thing i couldn't find i suddenly found it it was just incredible. I was like, this is me. I'm going to be doing this for, for the rest of my life. I, I felt such, so humbled to be a part of it. So, um, such a sense of purpose. And, uh, and it, and it disappeared. It dissolved overnight. And I ended up back in Australia with nothing, absolutely nothing, you know, but uh, a broken dream and, and, and this, this self-destructive behavior which would then send me on, on a path of self-destruction drink drugs everything i could get my hands on yeah and it was that point where i like when i got to my lowest ebb and i can remember thinking about suicide i was thinking about suicide far too often i never attempted it i don't know if i would but the fact that you're there that's a wake-up call you know and i did yeah. have a voice in my head the same one i've heard on selection like just do today saying it doesn't end like this ollie and I was like, right, has to stop. For the first time ever in my life, I took responsibility for where I was. 
I stopped blaming the external world for my situation. I stopped blaming events in my life that could have caused me to be where I, where I was at. Because regardless of what's happened to you, you are the only person that can change that. And when I was drinking and abusing myself and this, that and the other, I only got myself to blame. So really, for me, that was a turning point for me. And, and that then forced me to look within. And that's where the answers were all along. You, you see, we think happiness and health and everything, this, that and the other is all external. We're searching for it externally. I'd been bouncing around the world looking for this external experience that was going to make me feel fulfilled. And really, all the time, I needed to look within because that's the person I needed to change to change my outside world. And that was such a turning point for me. So really, for me, that was about changing, you know, the, the more we focus on anything, the bigger it becomes. So I thought, what's the opposite of that? So I started to, to think about the person I wanted to be, what that person represented, what that person looked like, what it felt like to be that person. And that would be the one thing that got me out of this person that hated the world, hated myself, and was just abusing myself constantly. Um, and that was such a transformation. It was all, that, that to me was like goal setting on steroids. Mm. It was like throwing that stone out of the bottomless pit of where I was and then chasing that stone. It was slow to get to it. And then as soon as I got to it, throw it again. Keep on going, keep on going. But falling in love with that dream of what you wanted to represent and be and who and, and what it looked like, what, what it felt like. And that's what I've never stopped doing that since. And, and I made so much progress in a small amount of time. I thought... That is where, you know, I'd come back from helping those kids in Thailand. The power of helping other people is the best return on investment you'll ever get, especially yeah. when they're less fortunate. And also the fact I made such a such a monumental transformation of myself. I wanted to use that experience, A, to help other people and show people that they can change. Regardless of the situation, they can change. Um, and really, that was the birth of Breakpoint, you know, and, and that was the birth of, you know, my stuff. My message for people suffering from mental health is no different from someone that really wants to achieve greatness and success in life. There's no difference. It's about having a clear direction of where you want to be and what that looks like. It's gets, yeah. yeah. And that, that is the answer to everything. You know, a lot of people suffering from mental health, they're just in this monotonous habit loop and nothing, you know, the mind is just absolutely just it's nine times out of 10, the mind is saying, God, I am just so tired of this monotonous life. It's, and it, yeah. it's as simple as making some fundamental changes that can change everything. So really, that was the turning point for me. Start, and that was the start of Breakpoint. You said at the start that we 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 went off into a deep area. I mean, I think we've just kind of gone even further there. Yeah, but that's absolutely fantastic because I think what you kind of talked about there is that when we do get stuck in that loop we often blame other people. Mm. And, and like you said, we, we blame our, 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 say our upbringing, our working environments, our social situation, whatever's happening in the world, blah, blah, blah. We, you've got to take, like you said, you've got to take that responsibility. You've yeah. got to go, well, actually, I'm the one that's made these decisions up until this point. I'm yeah. the one that can make the decisions to turn left or turn, turn right or carry on down this road. It's up to me. I'm the only one that can change my situation. Mm. You know, it's, it's not waiting for, you know, your, your lucky numbers to come in on the lottery and become a millionaire and all of a sudden money solves everything because you'll find that money doesn't solve everything. You'll find that having that Lamborghini in the driveway doesn't solve everything. It probably creates even more problems until you sort out those 
you know, those core issues yeah. and select and sort out your destination, you're lost. Yeah. 100%, mate. And I'll tell you what, the lottery winner is such a great example of that because that lottery winner will be the person that, that then, 12 months later, will have no money whatsoever yeah. because they haven't addressed who they are. You know, they've, allowed, they've, they've had something that's changed their external world massively, but if they haven't changed who, who they are, they will still drag through the same old issues. And before you know it, they, because they've come from that lack mindset, um, they will have that same amount of lack 12 months later. You know, it's, you have to change you. If you want to change your outside world, you have to change you. That is just fact, absolute fact. But the thing is, we're not, it's not a natural thing to do. Mm. You know, the natural thing to do is to blame our environment. You know, the yeah. people, like it's like going through lockdowns and everything. You know, the people in the businesses that survived and still doing well are the people that adapted to change. They were the chameleons of change. You know what I mean? It's not people that go, oh, well, we're just going to wait till the environment changes to suit our circumstances. Because yeah. that, if you're waiting for something to, that's never going to happen. You know, well, it's, it's, like, it's, it's, oh, mate, it's like, sorry to, sorry to jump in, but uh -huh. it's, it's like trauma as well. It's like a lot of people suffering with trauma um, and they can't get over it. It's because they're trying to be the person they were before the trauma. Yeah. Trying to get back to where they were. You're not that person anymore. The door shut. Yeah, the door's shut, you, and you've got to adapt to that change. And the more you strive to, for who you were, the more frustrated and the more um, confused you're going to be. You know, yeah. and that's exactly the same with lockdowns. It's like trying to be the business you were before lockdown, trying to be the person you were before. You know, with, everything's changed. You've got to change. Yeah. You've got to adapt. You've got to be that chameleon of change. Uh, there's that great book, that really, really simple book, Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> you, which is is a prime example of, of what was it uh, mice in a, a maze one mm. finds the cheese and then stays there because he thinks right I found the cheese yeah. but that's only going to last for for you know a, a short amount of time the other yeah. one goes off in search of, of the next and the next and the next that, that progression and, and I think it is dealing with change you know, like, yeah. like you said lockdowns a lot of things happen in lockdowns you know, whether it was business, whether it was, you know, mental health, whether it was just family life, you know, lots of things happen, but you have to deal with that change mm. and, and that ever change in circumstance. I think lockdown just kind of put a, you know, poured a bit of gasoline on that kind of, you know, change fire. But actually we were doing it, you know, we have to move on and we have to do things anyway in life, lockdowns or no lockdowns. Yeah, so, it's like any business that doesn't uh, adapt, you know, isn't constantly changing, is going to be eaten up by the underdog. And it's the same with people. If you're not constantly yeah. changing and evolving, you know, relative to our background or, or to the environment, you know, we've got to be the ones that are making that change. So 100%. Yeah. Well, blockbusters, prime example, you know, didn't want to move into the streaming business because everybody yeah. rented uh, DVDs and videos. And now what? how yeah. many streaming services are, are there out there and how many blockbusters are, are out there yeah there. so so talk to us about well talk to us about the tv program i mean uh you know before we kind of go into breakpoint you know yeah, no, what was it what was it like being a tv star uh it was a hard transition mate to be to be quite honest because yeah. first of all with everything i have got to see the purpose you know what I mean? I've got to understand the purpose of what I'm doing. Now, for me, initially when I started that process, it was like, what is my purpose? Why am I doing this? The reason I'm doing it is because the fuel, then my exposure for my business. So that was the driving force. When the first series came out on TV and I realized 
how you know the how they'd done the cut how they'd done the edit it wasn't about the military it was about human psychology and it really did start to address some really fundamental issues that every person is facing and it was such a massive ripple effect across the whole of the uk it was incredible i then that it then redefined my purpose to do that show because i was like wow this is just incredible it's so amazing to be a part of that um and it was good but over time with the show it's like initially it was brilliant because we had a lot of poetic license because we said, look, we will do it. We will have our faces, uh, uh, you know, revealed, providing it remains authentic to who we are and where we've come from. Yeah. Now, over the years, as it got more popular, more of that real estate was taken away from us. Mm. You know, and things were suggested to us that were quite preposterous. You know, it's like, you just want, you know, it's like, well, let's have a, Let's have an egg and spoon race. And you're like, you just wouldn't do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's got to be over 24 hours over a mountain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah blindfolded. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, you just wouldn't do that. It was, it was, I'm not saying that happened. I'm just using that as a as a metaphor. You know, it's like that happened, That kind of stuff was happening. And it was like, I started really losing interest in it. And I was like, my primary... My mission statement when I was I came back to the UK before that show started and it was like I locked myself in a house for three months, changed the blueprint of who I was, you know, and I worked on myself religiously every day. And I came up with my mission statement for Breakpoint, and that was to create a globally identified brand recognized for the positive growth and development of others. That's always been my primary. The TV stuff's a sideshow. Now, every time I went away to, to do that show, my business went on hold yeah it was like you know and i started getting to the point where i was thinking i'm losing my you know we can easily be distracted from something that really you know got something that we're so passionate about you know my business wasn't turning over great amounts of money or anything like that at that time so what's the natural thing to do it's go down the direction where something is paying more money yeah. uh, but really that's take it i'm not i don't have the passion for that but so what you hear a crossroads, but I was going down that road doing the TV stuff and knowing the more I, I knew I was so passionate about Braypoint that the more I invested in TV stuff, that, that this would then start to d- dissolve. And that then we then at the time I was still working for SAS UK doing the UK show. We then got the offer for SAS Australia. And in my head, I'm starting to think, wow, I can't even handle doing SAS UK and then to commit to another one, I'm like, my business, my business is going to fail. Before I know it, I'm so busy chasing the, chasing the money that I'm too busy making a living to, to even create my own legacy and do what I set out to do. Luckily for me, and I say luckily, I then got let, I got then dropped from SAS UK, which was, I still laugh at that phone call. And I laugh because, in my head, this is why you can't fool the universe. You know, I'm, I'm big into the universe. Judge me for it. I don't really care. But this is, you know, I, I truly believe that it's like a bad relationship. You know, I was I was going through the motions of going away, filming. I wasn't enjoying it, yeah. but I was collecting the money. <clears throat> you can't lie. It's like a bad relationship. You like think, oh, I can't, you know, you start cheating on someone, you're not in love with them, whatever, you know, you just know it's a load of, oh, but I'm going to, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to go through that short-term discomfort of, yeah. of, of breaking up. So, but you can't lie. 
that relationship will end up going absolutely there's no line from that you know it will it will just be it will break up at some point yeah and but it'll be it'll be 10 times worse yeah, ten times worse. You know, it's like a a, a, a prolonged toothache that's going to turn into agony at some point. And for me, that was like that. You know, I, I got that phone call. I'm on the phone listening. I'm like, my ego is being hurt a little bit, uh, but I'm thinking you got exactly what you wished for. This is what you wanted. You know, I mean, this is your soul wasn't in it. Your heart wasn't in it. You didn't. I didn't. I didn't never gone along and gone. You know what? Keep your money. I'm not going to bother. Yeah. I mean, but it was the best thing that happened. And and really for me, I then went over to SAS Australia, which was back to square one of having that poetic license, really working to have a marriage of this between the production and us. And it's been incredible. Yeah. And then that's allowed me with SAS Australia to still focus on Breakpoint, which is now doing incredibly. So talk to us about Breakpoint then. Yeah, Breakpoint. Now we started off in the early days, 2015. You know, I, I set out and when I'm in that house, start breakpoint. This is what it's going to look like. Really, for me, it was about doing physical events that really tapped into the mindset. Now, then the TV show came about. I was like, "Wow, this is my one-off opportunity. This is going to be a one-off. It could be one series. I treat every series yeah. like it's the last one." So I planned my first event just after the TV show, around the TV show, so that we would capitalize on on everyone wanting a piece of it. Uh, and that's where it all started. You know, uh, it started as doing those physical events and and we moved from down south then up to north, you know, throughout the whole series of SAS, we were running the events, which was great. Um, and then we sort of came up to the north, well, when I say the north, Shrewsbury, where we ended up buying a big unit. Um, we spent all our money, like, doing it. We had a gym, we had classrooms, everything. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was, like, brilliant. We were going to start doing veteran programs. We were doing this, that, and it, so many different things. That was that was when Battle Ready 360 started as well, our fitness app. Um, yeah. And then lockdown. <laughs> Smash. Um, which, really, for us, you know, it wasn't, you know, straight away, we we were that chameleon of change. Mm. I mean, we turned the classroom into a studio. I then started doing, I was doing constant um, virtual uh, sessions for corporate corporate entities, yeah. you know, which I've, I've not stopped doing. So that really um, helped the business survive all the way through. And we didn't have any, all the public events were, you know, they just, you know, the, the government kept kicking the can down the street. You know, we couldn't put them on. Then we could. Then we couldn't. Da, da, da. In the end, we just went, enough's enough. Yeah. You know, we had more of a loyalty to our customers. We ended up giving 50 grand back of, of, of um, tickets and and for, for events to all our customers. And we were just like, until there's clear direction from the government, until we can stop messing our customers around through that, we're not doing anything else. So really, what that did is push us into that virtual space. And again, that was something that was incredible because all of a sudden we then realized that we didn't need the unit up there, you know, and how much we could have could have um, more of effect on a on a more of a global reach by doing everything online. You know, yeah. for me, I'm running an events company. Everyone wants to see me at the event. Mm. And while you're that, like that, you can't scale up. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't scale the business. So for me, we're now moving into that space where we've 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 not stopped doing the events as such, but we've handed that side of the business over to someone we work with who we contract to to put the events on for us. So we are yeah. solely focused now 
on doing our online and virtual programs. We're having a portal being built now. So basically, you know, for corporates and any individual that wants to learn and grow and, and, and really get the best out of life, we'll have these mentoring programs, three months, six months, programs on resilience, programs on mindfulness, programs on all sorts of stuff where I'll be hosting them. Um, and then it's, it's like tonight, you know, I'm, I've got a webinar on tonight. A thousand, I've got over 1,200 people registered for that tonight. I can't reach the... I can't reach that many people on a on on a you know sixty people event over a weekend. Yeah, you know, I can't have that. You know, when it comes to to making changes for people, you know, we used to have some people that came and it was such a so amazing for them. We pushed them into doing things that they weren't comfortable with. They walk out as different people. They they yeah. a, a thriving community of people. It was like they became the Breakpoint family. But sustaining that or or keeping continuity of that change. You then go back into your to, to your normal way of life before you know it. Yeah. That was diluted. You're back to the same person you were. We could, we need to make that effective change over a period of time, and that's what happened to me. My mm. me, I'm still at school. I'll, I'll still be at school. I'm not even scratched the surface, you know. So really, understanding that self development and and is, is a constant. We need to be constantly evolving, constantly learning and growing. We have a duty to do that, and that is the way that we can reach people to do that. You know. What is breakpoint? Breakpoint is a dis disruptive change in habitual behavior in line with a predetermined goal. 95% of our behavior is habitual. So it's changing the blueprint of who we are, but we can't do that unless we've got a predetermined goal. Again, we've talked about that. It's about yeah. knowing exactly where you're going. And you know, what's your aim point? Where are you going? You know, and it's 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 so important that we have that. So really, you know, that is that is what we're pushing out there now. We're so excited about that. And, and Breakpoint is 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 going from strength to strength and it will continue to do so. Luckily for me, I've also got Australia. So, you know, we've got coverage not only in the UK, but Australia. So mm. you know, it's, it's, you know, to create that global, globally recognized brand, which is part of the mission statement, that's going to come. It's coming to fruition. It's, it's excellent. And it's the most fulfilling Amazing. thing. Most fulfilling thing. And and listen, uh, one thing I was talking about this yesterday to someone, to have someone that you've affected changing, just one person, one person that sends you an email saying, I was about to take my life, I got your book, or I've been on one of your, uh, your podcasts, you've changed my life. That There's nothing more fulfilling than that. There's nothing yeah, better it, than that. It, it, it's the butterfly effect then, isn't it? Mm. You know, you've, you've had that impact on someone and you know that they're going to go out and have further impacts on other people, yeah. Because that that one change can yeah. echo, exactly. and, and and it just reminds me of, of something a friend of mine says about about success, whether it's in business or, or sports or, or whatever. It's a staircase, yeah. Because if you jumped if you jump to the top, so say say like we said about winning the lottery, if you jump to the top, yeah. When you start to fall down the steps, you don't know how to get back up there. Because you've never done that. Whereas yeah. if you if you go on that step by step process and, and you talk about and you look at your mental well being, your resilience, all of these different things, that when you do get knocked down, and, yeah. and let's face it, in life, yeah. shit happens. Yeah. So when you do get knocked down, you remember the steps to get you back up to where you were, but you're there bigger, better, stronger. Uh, yeah. And that's a great analogy. Uh, and, and I think actually you know kind of what you're doing it's it really does sound like you found your purpose going from from the work you were doing in thailand with those kids and and kind of helping others 
yeah. you know, fundamentally just just helping others. It really does sound like you found your your core, yeah, purpose. Yeah, and th- that must that must feel amazing. Oh, it does, mate. And then, like I say, this to, you know, this is this is the topic I'm talking about tonight on this my webinar, because a lot of people see all oh, the the. It sounds like quite a glamorous glamorous uh, life, you know, special forces that it was on TV, da, 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 and it sounds glamorous, but. I want to tell people the truth. And it's like you mentioned on here, is there anything off bounds? No, mm. absolutely not. Because we need to help people and educate people through our own experience. And I want to tell people all the stuff in the cracks tonight, because I want to, I want them to understand. I want everyone on there will be able to relate to my story in some, 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 some part of it, they'll be able to relate yeah. to. And if any one of them wants to improve, you know, has issues to, to, to deal with, I've got that. I, I can show them a way to do that. And also, you know, I have to build that parallel because if you don't, then you're just a special forces soldier that everyone thinks is cut from a different cloth, carved in marble from another planet. You know, I mean, all that that stuff, and it's not true. You know, yeah. bleeding just like everyone else. And the more I can do to 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 initiate change in people, that is the you know, I I feel so honoured to be able to do that. It's you know, and a lot of people can reflect on that. A lot of people can reflect in their everyday jobs. Instead of thinking about just doing this to pay for the bills and pay to pay the mortgage, pay the finance, start to think about how your job is is helping other people, how your job is in the service of others, and that just thinking on that level instead of thinking about this is just a means to pay the mortgage, that will start to change everything. It's just a case of reframing it. Definitely, I, well, I was thinking if you are just doing something for the money, then mm. you're you're in the wrong job. Um, let me just say on that because i tell you what again i left the military and one of the main reasons i left the military because i couldn't i didn't have enough money i couldn't live my money was gone within the first two weeks of getting paid it was just ridiculous not everyone would say i just couldn't i didn't understand how people could live on it so when i came out all my whole focus was money 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 that's why i ended up back in a war zone yeah you know i was being paid ridiculous amounts of money there was no tax because it was a war zone it was incredible but I was still in that. I was. I was still no wealthier, um, and I was always chasing money. Money was in the. I, I was money's bitch. I yeah. was in the back seat, and I was money's bitch. Now, when I did that job in Thailand, which I wasn't being paid for, like I say, the best return on investment ever. That changed everything because for the first time in my life, and that's where Breakpoint stemmed from. I was more passionate about what that meant to me than the money. I mean, you wouldn't there was the, uh, there was no money in it anyway yeah but that was so more so much more powerful than any kind of money purpose and great point then that changed everything for me i was no longer money's bitch you know at the end of the mm-hmm. day money is a tool for you to not only have freedom in your life to be able to, to, to able to experience but it's a tool to be able to grow your business and yeah. your bitch well so the guy that said about the staircase i, got, I will name him guy called cross crosley um oh. also said has said to me before about money in terms of comparing it to david attenborough and the gorillas yeah so if david attenborough went chasing after the gorillas the gorillas would run away yeah but if, if if you do things in the right way and you build up that relationship it's the law of attraction then they will come to you and i think if you were if you always go chasing after money and i've seen this in business loads of times where people go and do things for for, for the money and actually it costs them a lot more, not only financially, but also personally. Yeah. 
because they've chased it, and that that's the that's the the wrong thing. Then, yeah, um, like you said, your desperation for something is exactly the same energy as as, as your negative behaviors around it. So yeah. there's no difference. Being negative about something is absolutely the same energy as being desperate for something. It's resistance. It's all resistance. And again, you know, I'm big on the law of attraction. You know, a lot of people say to me, do you believe in the law of attraction? The law of attraction is working for everyone on this planet. We yeah. become what we think about. So just think about that. You know, everything that you're receiving is, is because you're that's what you think about. And you know, the law of attraction works for every person on this planet. There's no, you know, some people don't, oh, I'll treat, I'll, some believe and some don't. It, it's working for everyone. So... Yeah absolutely and and it can also work negatively as well because if we go looking for a problem like we said earlier you will yeah, find one that's because you're looking for it regardless of whether you're you know positive and negative it's it's working for you law yeah, of attraction negative things and you focus on negative things they, the bigger they'll become you'll get more of the same it is a hundred percent fact and some people think that's woo woo and it's out there it's not it is a hundred percent fact hmm. well it's 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 Simple science, isn't it? And and it can easily be described or explained in terms of you want a new car. You set your heart on a new car. And you know what? You then start to see it everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's, I, always, I would, it's always been there, but you start to yeah. see it. Yeah. I, I always said, you know, kind of years and years ago, right, oh, young get it. I wanted an Audi and I wanted a black Audi. And guess what you start seeing then? You start seeing it everywhere. Yesterday, I didn't see it at all. But now, because I've said that I want it, it's there. Exactly. But, um, mate, oh, we, we could talk for hours and hours and hours on that, on, yeah. on loads of stuff. And, and look, I'd love to get you back on. Yeah, and, let's do that. You know, definitely. Um, we'll put your links to, to Breakpoint, Battle 3. I mean, we haven't even covered your, your books. I've even got one here. And we haven't even really <laughs> talked about time. it. You can do that next yeah. time. Definitely. Look, it's been absolutely fantastic having you here. Look, if I had to kind of push you for for one tip that you could give people out there, regardless of whether it's business, personal, whatever, what would you say to them? I'd say, first of all, the answers are within, not external. Simple as that. The answers are within. And you are the most important project there is. And the more you invest, the best, it'll be the best investment you ever make. There you go. That that's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Ollie, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on here. Like I said, we'll definitely get you back um, yeah. for another episode because we've got to talk about your books and how you got into to writing and, and, and all of that because that's just gonna be fascinating as well. But thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, everyone at home watching, make sure you subscribe to the channel, make sure you check out Breakpoint. Go and check out his books as well. You know, we will talk about them. Um, but no, we'll put your links and everything into the descriptions and, and push traffic your way. Um, but thank you very much for joining everyone at home. Thanks for watching.